Well, hello and welcome to the Gospel Chapel Podcast, where every week we post the audio from the sermon from this past Sunday. And this uh, Sunday, we were in the book of Zephaniah. And Zephaniah is one of the minor prophets, and uh, not one that we uh, pay attention to much because it's a minor prophet, but hey, uh, we looked at that this week and learned some great stuff from that. In his commentary on Isaiah, uh, John Oswald says this about prophecy. Prophecy is not given so that those hearing it can map out a timetable of future events. That was what pagan prophecy sought to do. Biblical prophecy is different. In the Bible, prediction is put into a context that radically changes the significance of the prediction. Biblical prophecy is a call to obey God revealed in the terms of the covenant. In this new context, prediction has two purposes. To verify that the God who is calling for obedience is indeed the God of the universe, who knows all things and is worthy of obedience. And to give confidence to listeners that they can dare to obey because this God has the entire future in his hands. And so as you listen uh, to this week's message on Zephaniah, keep that in mind. Biblical prophecy is there to tell us who God is and that we can live in obedience to him because he has the entire future in his hands. Check out our website, uh, www.gospelchapelgf.com for more information about Gospel Chapel and how you can connect with us. Thanks and may God bless you in this week. Hey, we're going to be in the book of Zephaniah today. So if you want to turn to that, the easiest way to find Zephaniah is to find Matthew in the New Testament and then work your way backwards. Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, Zephaniah. So start in Matthew and work your way backwards. It's only three pages long. So the book of Zephaniah is a pivotal book in what's known as the book of the 12 or the minor prophets. It follows Habakkuk, uh, written after Zephaniah, before Haggai, and it summarizes all that came before the exile and then looks towards the restoration of Israel and the new creation on the day of the Lord, a day we're longing for. And we hear echoes of the judgment of God that fell In the Genesis flood, we hear echoes of Isaiah's message to a people who just wouldn't listen, promising decisive justice against God's people and the enemies of God's people, followed by the overwhelming mercy and restoration that God longs to bring to our lives. And there is a global, all of creation encompassing view to Zephaniah, catastrophic, everything And everyone is going to die and fall under judgment, but also holding intention that God will restore. And he will restore a people not in a triumphant, gloating manner, but a people who will then walk in humility and wonder and worship. Because God doesn't save because we're worth it or better than others. He saves us because of his grace and mercy. And Zephaniah's words as with much of the prophets, comes to us in the literary form of poetry. It's poetry. 
It's song. And we need to read it like that. Metaphors, word pictures, hyperbole, simile, even sarcasm at times and humor. Because poetry expresses what just a a raw historical narrative that just says, here's here's what happened. It, It just can't reach certain levels of our hearts. See, poetry aims not at the mind to inform, but at the heart to transform. Poetry aims not at the mind, but at the heart to transform us. It awakens our imagination. And the prophets use poetry to pull us into an unimaginably beautiful future or horrible future imagining what will be if things stay the way they are and what they might be if we embrace the change that God desires. So Zephaniah is a poet. He wants to open the eyes of our hearts so that we might see clearly the state of our hearts in light of God's justice and mercy. So we're going to hear the words of Zephaniah. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, We come with open hearts to hear you speak to us through your word. Lord, thank you that your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, dividing joints and marrow, soul and spirit, exposing the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts. Thank you that the word became flesh and dwelt among us so that we may see the glory, the glory is of the only Father and who came to us full of grace and truth in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, today as we hear the words of Zephaniah, may we hear the words from your heart to ours and may we be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Zephaniah, I'm going to read through the whole book. It's only four pages long, and then we're going to focus on a few things out of this. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the names of the idolatrous priests along with the priests, those who bowed down on the roofs to the hosts of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear to Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests, and on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of mortar. 
for all the traders are no more. All who weigh out silver are cut off. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men who are complacent. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Their gods shall be plundered and their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blasts and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For a full and sudden end, he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. Gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do all his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. For Gaza shall be deserted and Ashkelon shall be a desolation. Ashdod's people shall be driven out at noon and Ekron shall be uprooted. Woe to you inhabitants of the sea coast, you nations of the Kerethites. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines, and I will destroy you until no inhabitant is left. And you, O seacoast, shall be pastures with meadows for shepherds and folds for flocks. The seacoast shall become the possession of the remnant of the house of Judah on which they shall graze. And in the houses of Ashkelon, they shall lie down at evening for the Lord their God will be mindful of them and restore their fortunes. I've heard the taunts of Moab and the revilings of the Ammonites, how they have taunted my people and made great boasts against their territory. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Moab shall become like Sodom and the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a land possessed by nettles and salt pits and a waste forever. The remnant of my people shall plunder them and the survivors of my nation shall possess them. This shall be their lot in return for their pride because they taunted and boasted against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be awesome against them for he will famish all the gods of the earth and to him shall bow down each in its place all the lands of the nations. You also, O Cushites, shall be slain by my sword and he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria, and he will make Nineveh desolation, a dry waste like the desert. Herds shall lie down in her midst. All kinds of beasts, even the owl and the hedgehog, shall lodge in her capitals. A voice shall hoot in the window. Devastation will be on the threshold of her cedar work will be laid bare. This is the exultant city that lived securely, that said in her heart, I am and there is no one else. What a desolation she has become. 
a lair for wild beasts. Everyone who passes by her hisses and shakes his fist. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till morning. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests are profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no justice. Injustice. (laughs) Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each day he does not fail. But the unjust knows no shame. I have cut off nations. Their battlements are in ruins. I have laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. You will accept correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you, but all the more they were eager to make up, to make all their deeds corrupt. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord. For the day when I rise up to seize the prey, for my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger. For in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. On that day, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At that time when I gather you together, for I will, will make your, you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes 
before your eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Wildly different extremes, right? Absolute destruction and judgment and absolute restoration and renewal. We're going to focus on three passages out of this today that speak of the mercy and the restoration that God deeply desires to work for his people. And I've added a fourth to the outline because I think you can't read through Zephaniah and not not get this last one. The first thing that we're going to look at is that the Lord saves the repentant. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation. And, and he's talking to Israel there, and he's, the, the word for nation there is the word that is usually used for pagan nations, not for God's people. The very specific word, the goy, those nations outside of covenant. And he's talking to Israel and saying, you're outside of covenant, O sh- and you're shameless but gather together and come before me and seek me and seek righteousness and seek humility. And perhaps, that's the tricky word here, perhaps you may be hidden on the day of judgment. God here is calling for repentance, for a return to him. But what does repentance entail? Often we think it means being sorry for our sins, feeling bad, and asking for forgiveness from God. And that that is true. But look at what verse 3 says. What does it look like to actually turn back to the Lord? Seek the Lord. Seek him. And seek righteousness. And seek humility. Repentance means turning to God and seeking him. You see, if if all repentance means is feeling sorry for our sins, feeling bad about uh, what we've done, and then asking for forgiveness so we don't have to suffer the eternal consequences of it, if we go with that definition, repentance is all about me and me being sorry and me feeling bad and me getting forgiven so I don't have to face the consequences. But in this, have I really turned from being self-centered in my approach to life? I got caught. Oh, I better... Make it better so I don't feel bad. Seek the Lord. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Seek the Lord. Seek seek a person. That's true and transforming repentance. When I focus on God and his holiness and his justice and his mercy... That leads to an open road of freedom where we experience God. And in repentance and rest is our salvation, not in seeing if I can feel bad enough and run myself over enough in regret and guilt because that's where the other form of repentance tends to lead us. Where myself and my sin is my focus and the dead end of shame and guilt is the destination. Seek the Lord. Godly sorrow leads to repentance with no regrets. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So stop condemning yourself. 
throughout Zephaniah's message, this is the goal, this is the aim, get back to seeking the Lord for who he is. And all this shocking imagery in the announcement of coming destruction has this focus. Seek the Lord, accept his correction, listen to his voice and return to him. And then there's this unsettling word at the end of the verse, verse three in chapter two. And perhaps. What do you mean perhaps? Like if I repent, there should be no perhaps. What is this? Here is where biblical faith differs from pagan faith. We do not control God. We can never make him do what we want or expect. Sin has consequences. God will forgive, but consequences may remain. Israel may repent, there may be renewal. Zephaniah is writing during the time of Josiah, perhaps the most righteous king of Judah ever, including David, the greatest revival in in Judah's history. A great revival did happen, but probably after this, but it was short-lived. People sought the Lord for a while, Josiah's reforms were significant, they were effective, but they were temporary, and the nation was spared just for a generation. Within a generation, things fell apart in the exile, long prophesied as far back as Moses in his closing poem in in Deuteronomy. Moses said, you're going to go into exile. It would still come because sinful people give up on these things. We would rather not seek God. We would rather seek our own way in this world and do it our way. We would rather not seek righteousness. We would rather not be humble. Look over at verse 17. Nope. Nope, that's wrong. There's no 17 in that chapter. Three, verse seven, that's what I meant to write. This is God speaking again to Judah and Israel saying, surely you will fear me, you will accept correction. This is what God said, you're you're gonna fear me. All of this is gonna drive you back to repentance. Surely you will fear me, you will accept correction. Then your dwelling will not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. But the more, all the more, they were eager to make their deeds corrupt. They avoided repentance. Remember in Isaiah, the call of Isaiah? We we love the call of Isaiah up to a certain point. We love the call of Isaiah up until the point where Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. And we usually stop reading at that point. We we stop our sermons at that point because what's the next thing? God says, sure, go. No one's gonna listen to you. Your entire ministry will be will be to call this people to repentance and all you're gonna get is, no, we're not gonna listen. I don't know about you, but I don't know how long I'd last in ministry if that was the case. If everything you did just hit a brick wall. God's calling for repentance because he will save the repentant. 
Second, the Lord will restore the faithful. Down to verses nine to 11 in chapter three. And here we see some, some of this poetic hyperbole of the prophetic poet. Go back to verse eight. What did verse eight say? I'm gonna pour out my indignation, my burning anger and my fire and all the earth shall be consumed for at that time I will change the speech of the people to a pure speech. Well, who's left if everything got destroyed? It's like this radical divide here, this great hyperbole. There's a great destruction, but there is a great redemption and an act of mercy that restores and transforms people. Here we see that God's great intent behind judgment is not destruction, but renewal and recreation. In language like Isaiah chapter 6, verses 5 to 7, Zephaniah speaks of the lips of the people becoming purified, that God would act to restore his people to holy speech. Their shame would be removed, their pride would dissipate, and humility would be real in their hearts and lives. For at that time I will change the speech the tongue, the lips, literally, of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. And here's where I would take the gospel project and cross out the word the, and I would write for. The Lord restores for faithfulness. He doesn't restore because we're faithful. He restores so that we can be faithful. Look at the text again. At that time, I will change the speech of the people to a pure speech that result, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve with one accord. Faithfulness is a result of the Lord's restoring work. That's what the text says. God transforms the speech of the people first and as a result, they will call upon him. As a result, they will be humble. As a result, they will be pure. It's God acting first to remove their pride and their sinfulness before they can lead faithful lives. God acts, and because he acts, we have an opportunity to respond. Not the other way around. God always makes the first move, and he always gives us the capacity of faith to come to him. John 5, 65. No one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Romans 5, 8, and 9. We've come back to this over and over. While we were yet sinners, while we were enemies, God in his love sent Jesus to die for us. Not when we got it figured out and when we were good enough and, 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 and when we started seeking God no, he did it while we were enemies, while we were sinful, while we were broken, while we were totally off base. God loved us and sent his son for us. God always makes the first move. Ephesians 2, 4 to 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive. Not the other way around. So the point here should be that God restores us so that we can be faithful. Because without his presence and his spirit giving us life and changing us, we can't live the faithful life. We can't come to him. We need his work to come to him in faith to start with. We need his work 
then to help us continue in the faith. Philippians 2, 12 to 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The next part's really important, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. So live out your faith in awe and wonder of what God has done and is doing in your life. That's tremendously freeing to make sure we remember the whole sentence. We don't just stop at work out your own salvation with fear or trembling because, boy, if you don't, you may lose it. You're kind of on tenuous ground. No. Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling because God is at work in you both to will and to act for his good pleasure. God saves the repentant and God restores us for faithfulness, gives us the ability to be faithful. Thirdly, the Lord purifies the humble. Verse 12 to 13 of chapter three back in Zephaniah. The work of the Lord does not end at salvation. It continues to change and transform us. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. And this is, this is the long-range view now of Eden restored, of, of the, the new heavens and the new earth in reality. But the work of God does not stop at our salvation, but continues to transform us. A good old theological word for this is sanctification. And sanctification, after we are justified by faith in Christ and declared to be in right standing with God through the righteousness of Christ, we undergo a lifetime of transformation, being continually made more like Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. And Scripture speaks of sanctification as a present position. You have been sanctified, set apart for God, and a continual process of becoming more and more like Christ. We will be changed from glory to glory as we gaze upon the glory of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 3, 2, somewhere in there. Read the whole book, it's great. <laughs> Continually changed into his image so that we love what he loves. So that we see the world through his eyes. And so our hearts break with the things that break the heart of the Lord. The Lord purifies the humble. Zephaniah looks ahead as Isaiah and others have done and John the, Baptist, John the, the Revelator has done and he sees a restoration of Eden, a world renewed, relationship with God fully restored. The call to seek the Lord will be obeyed. The call to seek righteousness will be obeyed. The call to seek humility will be something we don't have to strive for or even try. It'll just be part of our character because God has so changed our hearts and lives. And God will be the only refuge that his people will ever seek and their lives will be marked with holy justice, speaking truth and peace. And the people of God will be so changed they will reflect his character perfectly. They shall do no injustice. Remember, we read that. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Now, the poet says, all who are left in Israel shall do no injustice. They shall speak no lies. 
nor shall they be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. Wow. The Lord saves the repentant. He restores us for faithfulness. He purifies the humble. And then this is my addition. I don't have this on the PowerPoint. But you can't finish off Zephaniah without this point. The Lord celebrates the restored. The Lord celebrates the restored. Zephaniah concludes with God celebrating the restoration of his people. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one to save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. He's with us. He rejoices over us. He he is glad because of us. His loving presence calms our troubled hearts and he sings exuberantly over us. Think about that for a minute. We always think of praise as our worship to God and we sing to God. What if God was the loudest voice in the room and he was singing over us? Imagine God himself bursting into song because he so loves his people. His song over you. Close your eyes for a moment. Imagine you are sitting before the throne of God and he just asks you to be quiet. He quiets you with his love and then he exalts over you with the song written for you that he himself wrote to sing to you. How would you feel if the creator of the universe sat you down and said, hey, I got a song and I wrote it just for you. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Let's pray. Lord, what a marvelous, overwhelming reality. that you would restore us to such a close relationship with you that it wouldn't be good enough just to have a a justice get-out-of-jail-free card, a welcome-to-my-heaven-and-I'll-see-you-around-maybe if you come to my throne room. That you are not a God who is distant, you are not a God who is unconcerned, that you are not uninvolved in our everyday life. You exult over us with loud singing. You quiet us with your love. And all the tumult and the chaos and the, the pain of our hearts, 
Your love speaks quietness and rest. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. You restore us, not because we're able to be faithful, but because out of your restoring work and the Holy Spirit's presence in our hearts, we can live faithful lives. And so you restore us for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have done it all. That before one of our days was, you knew us fully. You knew our end from our beginning. From the very foundation of the universe, you chose us to walk with you. Oh Lord, may we be overwhelmed by your providential love that looked through all of eternity and saw us. Not only saw us, but loved us. And not only loved us, but sings over us. May this wonder engulf our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.